back in January of 2020, we had an evening, a night that I will never forget. Back in January 2020, it began, I uh, got very sick. I'll spare you the details, but it was uh, quite the stomach bug. So I was up all night vomiting. I was completely out of it. But as bad as that evening was for me, that's not what made that evening unforgettable. Something far worse was taking place. And my wife and I were in a very desperate situation. But let me ask you, when was a time that you were in a desperate situation? When was a time that you were in such a desperate situation that you kind of struggled with the Lord? And in the midst of that desperate situation, how did you maintain faith and trust in the midst of that desperate situation? In Mark chapter 5, in the second half of Mark chapter 5, we see two touching stories. Two touching stories of people who are in a desperate situation. First, we begin with the story of a man named Jairus, a synagogue official whose daughter is dying. And he comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to touch his daughter who has fallen gravely sick. But then that story is interrupted like John Mark likes to do. And then he begins telling another story of a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And she touches Jesus in order to get healed. And then after finishing that second story, John Mark resumes the first story like he likes to do. And he completes the story of Jairus' daughter. And what we see there is that Jesus touches her. And he brings her back to life. And in both of these touching stories in desperate situations, we see the tenderness of Jesus' touch. Open your Bible with me to Mark chapter 5 and grab as well your outline found in your bulletin. You can see again three things there on your outline. First, we see this touching request of Jairus. He comes and he says, Jesus, if you would just touch my daughter, then she will be made well. But then interrupting that story, like John Mark likes to do, we see the story of Jesus touched by an unclean woman, Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. And then number three on your outline, resuming the first story, we see Jesus touching a dead girl. So let's grab your Bibles, open up again to Mark chapter 5. Let's look first at number one on your outline, a touching request, Mark chapter 5. Let's begin by looking first at verse 21. John Mark tells us, when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. Let's pause right here and just remember what we saw last week. Remember last week, Jesus got in a boat and he headed over into Gentile territory, into the Decapolis cities. And so here, picking up in Mark chapter 5, now Jesus and his disciples get back in the boat. They're heading back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee. They're headed back to the Jewish side of the Sea of Galilee, most likely Capernaum, which was their headquarters, their base. 
And once again here, John Mark tells us that a large crowd now gathers around Jesus by the seashore. So picture in your mind, Jesus is now back in Capernaum. More and more people come and surround Jesus. They want to hear his teaching. And then notice from the crowd in the next verse, one man emerges, verse 22. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up and on seeing him, fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. John Mark tells us that this man Jairus, he's one of the synagogue officials. He was one of the men who over saw all of the synagogue services and the things going on there, again, most likely in Capernaum. And because of his position there in a the synagogue, Jairus was a well-respected man. He was a man of great respect and status in the community, but notice here, Jairus finds himself in a desperate situation. His daughter is on the verge of death. His daughter is on the verge of death, and so Jairus lays aside any pride that he might have, and he falls at Jesus' feet. He implores Jesus. He begs Jesus. He says, listen, if you just come and lay your hands on her, then she will be made well. And Jairus is in a desperate situation. I love, by the way, Jesus' response. When Jairus comes up to him, he says, if you just lay your hands on her, she'll get well. Verse 24 says, and he, Jesus, went off with him, and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. We're not told what Jesus said. All we're told is that Jesus went off with Jairus, and once again, this large crowd is following Jesus and pressing in on him. No words, no delay. But Jesus, off he goes to heal Jairus' daughter. How's the story going to end? Well, we'll have to wait and see. Because we come now, as we look at number two on your outline, the next Markin sandwich. Remember, John Mark likes to use these sandwich techniques in telling stories. He tells a story, begins telling a story, then he interrupts it to give the meat. And then after he tells the second story, he resumes the first story, that second piece of bread in the Markin sandwich, and we come to that now. But what I want you to understand is that as we go to number two on your outline, the clock is still ticking. The clock is still ticking. Jairus' daughter is on the verge of death, and Jesus is marching along with Jairus to heal his daughter. But he gets interrupted on the way. Jesus gets interrupted in this Markin sandwich by another person, a woman who also finds herself in a very desperate situation. Again, look at number two on your outline, Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 28. Mark chapter 5, verse 25 says, And a woman who had had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. 
For she thought, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. I want you to picture this scene in your mind and try to capture, capture the magnitude, the depth of this woman's desperation. John Mark, in telling this story, he tells it so vividly. He gives us first seven participles or seven words ending with I-N-G before he punches us with the main verb. Notice he says, uh, having a hemorrhage for 12 years, having endured much at the hands of many physicians, having spent all that she had, having not been helped at all, but having become worse after hearing about Jesus And coming behind him, and here's the main verb, she touched his cloak. Climactically, she touches his cloak. This woman who, for 12 years, for 12 years has been walking around an unclean person, a living dead person, for 12 years comes and in faith touches Jesus' cloak. So why touch his cloak? Why touch his cloak? Some commentators believe that she was engaging in some sort of superstition, but I don't think that's what's going on here. In fact, what I think is going on here is there are a few passages in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4 being one of them, that talks about the Messiah having healing in his wings. The Messiah having healing in his wings or in the fringes of his cloak, the corners of his cloak. And there's two ideas that might be in mind here. First, it might be the little tassels you've probably seen, like these little uh, prayer tassels that would often hang from Uh, the clothing of men, Jewish men in this day, or it may have been the corners of his prayer shawl that Jesus might have had over him. But I believe that this woman had faith in the promises of the Old Testament that the Messiah would have healings in the wings of his cloak. This is faith. This is not superstition. This woman is in a desperate situation and just like Jairus in the first story, She has tremendous faith. So reaching out, she touches Jesus' cloak. And notice verses 29, what happens immediately. There's that favorite word of John Mark again. Immediately, the flow of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. She reaches out and she touches the tassels or the corner of Jesus' cloak, and immediately John Mark tells us she's healed of her affliction. By the way, what's amazing is uh, normally under normal circumstances, this is not a normal circumstance, but under a normal circumstance for a woman like her, an unclean woman, because of her bleeding, for her to touch anybody would have rendered that person unclean. To even touch Jesus' clothes under normal circumstances would have rendered him unclean, but Mark gives no hint at that. Instead, contagion does nothing to him, but instead Jesus' wholeness is transmitted to her. Her uncleanness is not transmitted to him, but his wholeness is transmitted to her. 
rendering her cured and clean. And then notice verse 30. Immediately. Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Who touched my garments? Jesus asks this question, I believe, not because he doesn't know the answer. He knows the answer. He knows who touched him. But notice Jesus asks this question out loud as he turns around and faces the crowd. He asks this question. He says, who touched my garments? I believe he asked this question really for the benefit of the disciples who we'll see in just a second. But also for the benefit of this woman to draw her in even a little closer to himself. Look first at Jesus' words to the disciples there in verse 31, or uh, the disciples' words to him. Jesus asked the question, who touched my garments? Verse 31, his disciples said, replying to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, who touched me? Again, picture this scene in your mind. Jesus is being surrounded by people. People are pressing in on him from all sides. And Jesus says, who touched my garments? And the disciples, they're so confused as they often are in the Gospel of Mark. And they say, Jesus, everybody's pressing in on you. And you want to know who touched you? Everybody touched you. Like everybody here touched you. And why are you asking who touched you? Once again, we see the confusion of the disciples that's carried through throughout the Gospel of Mark. But I think the main reason Jesus asked this question is for the benefit of the woman. Notice verse 32. And he, Jesus, looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. See, Jesus asked this question, I believe, to draw this woman in closer to himself. Notice her initial response. John Mark says she's in fear and trembling. She's afraid. But notice as well, she knows what just happened to her. She can't deny it. She knows that she's been healed, and so she comes and she falls down before Jesus, and I love this, she tells him the whole truth. She tells him, I believe, how long she's been suffering for 12 years, the type of pain that she's endured, the, being a social outcast and unclean for so long, and she, believe, I believe, tells Jesus, listen, I, I just believe that if I touched your garments, you would heal me. She tells Jesus the whole truth, and then notice his reply to her, verse 34. He said to her, daughter, your faith, not your superstition, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I want you to capture the tenderness here in Jesus' words to her. First, he calls her daughter. The only time that Jesus uses this term of endearment, term of affection, signifying her new relationship with him. Daughter, your faith has made you well. 
And then he says to her, go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I think these tender words communicated to her that her suffering is over. This is a complete and permanent healing and restoration. She will suffer no more. But go in peace and be healed of your affliction. But by touching Jesus' garment, this woman has faith that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. She has faith that Jesus has the ability to heal her. This woman, as a result, notice, becomes a daughter of God. Daughter, he says to her. She has literally become a part of the new family of Jesus. Her impurity has been removed. Her social status has been restored, and she's been rendered whole and clean. By the way, this physical healing of the woman here is a great picture of the spiritual healing and cleansing that we all receive at the moment of faith in Jesus for our salvation. The ugliness of sin, the reality is, is because of sin, we're all rendered unclean. We're all rendered uh, untouchable. We're all rendered uh, guilty before the eyes of a holy God. But the beauty of the gospel is that just like this woman, by faith in Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our impurity is removed. Our social status with God is restored, and we are rendered whole and clean. And listen, if you're here this morning or watching online and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, that you are restored with a holy God, that you have been declared clean, I want to give you the opportunity, the invitation where you are to put your faith in him, to trust in him. And you, like this woman here, can be a daughter or a son in God's family. But remember this story of Jesus healing the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. This is really an interruption in the initial story we saw of the request for Jesus to come and touch Jairus' daughter so that she might be healed. She's on the brink of death. She's on the verge of death. And that story of Jairus' daughter gets interrupted by this story of Jesus being touched by an unclean woman. So now let's resume the initial story and see how Jairus' daughter turns out after all. Let's take a look at number three on your outline. Jesus touching a dead girl. Mark chapter 5, verse 35. While he was still speaking, while he was still speaking to this woman, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher anymore? So notice Jairus has been traveling with Jesus all this way. Jairus thought that Jesus was going to heal his daughter, to save her from the brink of death, and then they get delayed, they get interrupted by this story of Jesus healing the woman who's been hemorrhaging for 12 years. But this so-called delay is going to become a tremendous test of Jairus' faith. His fears that his daughter would die are now confirmed by the report that indeed she has died. 
She's dead. Imagine the pain. And if I'm honest, the frustration maybe with Jesus that Jairus probably felt in this moment? What if Jesus hadn't been delayed? What if he had told the woman, excuse me, I need to go? Why did he delay so long and talk to her? What if we had gotten there just a little bit sooner? Again, imagine the disappointment that Jairus must have had as he hears these words, your daughter has died, why trouble the teacher anymore? But then verse 36 says, but Jesus overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. So Jesus hears the report that this girl has died, but then John Mark tells us Jesus overhearing what was being spoken. That word overhearing you could translate as ignoring. Jesus ignoring the report that Jairus' daughter is dead, turns to Jairus, to the synagogue official, and says, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Stop fearing. Just keep on believing. So again, put yourself in Jairus' shoes for just a moment. He believed that Jesus had the ability to heal his daughter. But now his faith is going to be tested at a whole new level. Does Jairus have the faith to believe that Jesus can raise his dead daughter from death? That's a whole new magnitude, a whole new depth of faith. Let's see how Jairus responds. Let's see what happens. Verse 37. And he, Jesus, allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came into the house of the synagogue official and he saw a commotion and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. But they began laughing at him. And putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, Peter, James, and John, and they entered the room where the child was. So notice Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, and Jairus, they go into the home where Jairus' daughter was indeed dead. And Jesus hears the commotion of the people loudly weeping and wailing, most likely professional mourners, and they would have known that this girl was indeed dead. She has died. She is gone. But Jesus, hearing the commotion, he enters in and he asks them, why make such a commotion and weep? The child has not died but is asleep. And so they start laughing at him. Jesus' words here seem absurd because they knew the girl was dead. She didn't just appear to be dead, but she was in reality dead, and so they laugh. So notice Jesus in response, he puts them all out, he kicks them out of the house, and then he takes, along with the child's father, Jairus, and mother, and his own companions, Peter, James, and John, they enter into the room where the child was. And then verse 40, uh, 41, taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means little girl, I say to you, get up. 
Immediately, the girl got up and began to walk, for she was 12 years old. And immediately, they were completely astounded. So again, this private party now enters into the room where the dead girl is. Peter, James, and John, Jairus, and Jairus' wife, they enter into the room. And Jesus, verse 41, notice, takes her by the hand. He touches this dead girl, which, again, under normal circumstances, but this is not a normal circumstance, but under normal circumstances would have rendered Jesus unclean. Jesus touches this dead girl. He takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kum, which is translated as little girl arise. You could also translate this Aramaic as little lamb arise. And immediately at Jesus' command, immediately as Jesus says these words, the little girl is brought back to life and begins to walk. And notice she was 12 years old, the exact same time frame of the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She begins to walk, and notice they, Peter, James, and John, Jairus, and Jairus' wife, are completely astounded. They are filled, their minds are filled with utter amazement at what just took place. And as much as you would want to share this story, if you were Jairus or Jairus' wife or Peter, James, and John, notice verse 43, he, Jesus, gave them strict orders that no one should know about this, and he said that something should be given to her to eat. Two commands we see here of Jesus. First, he tells them to say nothing to anybody about it. Once again, we see throughout the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells people to remain silent in certain situations. I don't want you to tell anybody about what you just saw. But then the second command, I love this one. Jesus commands that they give the little girl something to eat. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just like a little, another tender touch of Jesus' compassion on this girl. She had to have been hungry. So Jesus says, hey, give her some food. This is incredible. We see here at the end of Mark chapter 5, two amazing stories of touching stories of faith in desperate situations. Two touching stories of faith in desperate situations. And in these two stories, there are a ton of similarities. I want you to notice the parallels between these two stories. First and foremost, notice again, the bleeding woman had been dying as long as the child has been living for 12 years. The woman has been slowly dying and bleeding for as long as the child has been alive, 12 years. Both of uh, the, the woman and the girl here are daughters. First, one is Jairus' daughter. And you can tell in the story that Jairus loves her, that he's advocating for her. He's coming to Jesus on her behalf. But the woman in the story is all alone. But Jesus tenderly touches her and affectionately calls her daughter, my daughter. Also in both of these stories, the little girl who is dead and the woman who's been hemorrhaging, bleeding for 12 years, both of them under normal circumstances would have rendered another person unclean. But in both of these stories, rather than Jesus becoming unclean, these two women, when they touch Jesus or are touched by Jesus, 
Their impurity is not transmitted to him, but rather his health, his wholeness, his restoration is transmitted to them. The woman becomes pure and the dead child is restored to life. Two amazing stories. But what's the point of these two touching stories of people in desperate situations? Here, I believe, is the point. For you and I as well, no matter how desperate our situation, no matter how desperate our situation, how hopeless our circumstance, whether it's disease or death or any other thing, Jesus here bids us to trust in him faithfully and fearlessly. No matter the desperate circumstances and situations of our life, Jesus bids us to trust him faithfully and fearlessly. And by the way, this passage here is, I believe, meant to be read along with what we saw last week. Last week we saw Jesus bids his disciples to trust him in the physical, spiritual, socio-political realm of life. We saw Jesus demonstrating his authority over the wind and the waves and the demonic realm and over the socio-political realm of life as well. And here in this passage, we see Jesus' authority extended to disease and death itself. And all of this is inviting us to trust fearlessly and faithfully in the one who has authority over it all. But let's be honest for just a second. As I look around this room, I doubt that anyone here questions whether or not Jesus actually healed this woman and rose this girl from the dead. I'm assuming that by nature of the fact you're at Grace Bible Church, you believe these stories actually took place. I'm also going to assume by nature of the fact that you're here that you believe that Jesus still has authority to do these things today. But the tension you and I face is what happens when he doesn't heal? What happens when we pray and we ask Jesus to bring healing to us or to our loved ones, to our friends, and he doesn't? We've all been in desperate situations and I know there are people in this church, in this room right now, you're battling cancer or you have some sort of health diagnosis. You're in a desperate situation. Maybe uh, you're unable to conceive and you're crying out to the Lord saying, Lord, please, will you intervene? But it appears as though he says no. See, I think this passage invites us to ask the question, what's even more desperate of a situation than being on the verge of disease and death? I think even more desperate than that is when we cry out to the Lord and he doesn't bring the healing we request. The deeper question I think we all have to wrestle with is, do we still trust him even when he doesn't answer our prayers the way we hope? Do we still keep our faith in him even beyond death? Even when death itself comes for your friends, for your loved ones, or if you're looking at death in the face with some diagnosis. 
Can we still feel the tenderness of Jesus even in those moments? Again, I want to point out just a couple of things here in this passage that highlight the tender touching of Jesus here in these verses. Notice again verse 23. Did you notice the repetition of the words touching and hands here in these verses? Notice verse 23. Jairus asks Jesus to lay his hands on his daughter. Verse 27, the woman touched Jesus' cloak. Verse 28, she thought, if I just touch his garments. Verse 30, the, uh, Jesus asks, who touched my garments? Verse 31, the disciples quote Jesus, who touched me? And in verse 41, Jesus took the little girl by the hand. So the question is, can you and I, even when Jesus doesn't answer our prayers, when we're in that depth of a desperate situation, can we still feel the tender love of Jesus even then? So let me go back to my story in January of 2020. Again, January in 2020, I was sick. It was a long night of vomiting. I was completely out of it. But like I said, there was something far worse that was taking place that truly was a desperate situation. And as I was sick, uh, my wife was suffering a miscarriage. And it was a desperate situation that ended up requiring hospitalization to stop the hemorrhaging. It just wouldn't stop. And my wife, by the way, she gave me permission to share this story. She shared it in a Women of Grace event last year. But I want to share with you what she said about it then. She said, it began slowly, but worsened through the night. I didn't know what to expect, but I was dreading the pain and the physical reality of what the night would hold. The person who I would normally turn to most for comfort was unable to help me. You see, our family had been experiencing a stomach bug, so Jace was in another room very sick, unable to help me. She says, I was literally all alone in the bathroom in the middle of the night, but I turned to the Lord. I cried out to Jesus, and he answered me in a way that I had never experienced before. His presence with me through the night was something I cannot put into words, but all I can say is that he was my perfect refuge. I held the Bible in my hands and read the Psalms that night, crying out to the Lord to be my refuge when I had nowhere else to turn. And Jesus was literally there with me, sheltering me under his wings. And at one point, very early in the morning, Hannah came to me, and said, hey, we need to go to the emergency room. And so we loaded our kids in the car. I grabbed a bucket, a throw-up bucket, to put in my lap as I'm driving my wife to the emergency room. I mean, this is a desperate situation. We lost the baby, and had we not gone to the hospital, I think I would have lost my wife. But Hannah, as she recounts this, she says, this miscarriage made me think about the reality of heaven in new ways. Part of something I carried in my body was now literally in heaven with Jesus. 
He is the keeper of my baby's soul, and he is the keeper of my soul. Jesus guards and protects our lives beyond death. And nothing on earth, neither in life nor death, can snatch us from the refuge of Jesus. And I think that really is what the text here is driving us to. And that's our touching story of a desperate situation. I'm sure that you have yours as well. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that at times it is so hard for us to trust you. We confess that at times we cry out, we pour out our hearts to you, asking for you to intervene, for you to bring healing. And we confess that often we lose faith when you don't give us the answer we so desire. So forgive us, Father, when we fail to see the reality beyond even death itself. And yet, Father, we do come to you and we ask on behalf of many people in this room that you would bring healing, that you would bring restoration, that you would bring wholeness. And at the same time, we trust you that even when you answer no, we still believe that you're good. We still can feel the touching tenderness of Jesus in all of the desperate situations of our life. Father, thank you that in sending your son, you have forgiven us of our sins and you've also given us the promise that one day he will return and make all things new. One day he will return and there will be a kingdom where there is no more crying, there is no more tears, there is no more pain and suffering. But Father, until that day comes, give us the faith to trust you in the desperate situations of our life. We ask all of this, Father, humbly, and in the name of Jesus, amen.